Hi everyone, uh, welcome back. You're on the Moments podcast uh, with Luke here from Mo. Um, I'm really excited today. I've got Rudy. Uh, Rudy is a game changer, um, not just because she's an amazing person doing some amazing work, but she's been named a game changer from the Institute of Practitioners in Advertising um, for her work in the space of diversity and inclusion, um, which has been growing and growing in an area of interest for me and lots of interesting stuff has been going uh, on and Rudy has been at the forefront of that. So Rudy, I will let you share. Um, why did you win the, the award and what does it mean to you to start us off, if that's okay? Thanks, Luke. It's lovely to be here with you. And um, yeah, I mean, it was an incredible honour to, to be named on the I-list. So I'm one of 30 game changers. I've never been called a game changer before. <laughs> it's lovely. Um, and so, you know, it, I've been working in the media and advertising industry now for nearly 20 years. My last couple of roles were global head of culture in Group M, part of the WPP group, and the same role actually within the publicist group before that. And um, especially in the last five years, I've had a big focus on diversity and inclusion. So this, um, this being named as a game changer was, was a part of the work that I've been delivering um, not just me, but teams of wonderful people I've worked with that have helped me deliver that. So how does it feel? I mean, it, it feels wonderful and it feels like amazing recognition and I feel very proud. But I think what I'm feeling at the moment more than just feeling proud is a huge sense of responsibility. Um, but right now, you know, the sense of responsibility in the last week has kind of just blown up. Um, in you know in response to everything that's happening in the US and around the world after the murder of George Floyd and I think you know I've spoken to so many people about this Luke and I'm sure you have as well and everybody's got an opinion everybody's got feelings everybody you know so many people that I'm talking to have just gone into like a really dark place about it because it is having an enormous effect on people around the world and you know I think you just look at these protests you look at the people attending these protests they're not just black people they're white people they're people from every ethnicity they're people of every religious belief and they are saying no we have had enough this has got to stop and this isn't just about one man's death of course this is about a string of wrongful situations that have happened to innocent people, not just in the US, in the UK and around the world. And it's also about, of course, years and years of socioeconomic injustice. And it's the backlash against governments that say that this stuff is important to them and that they're going to do something about it and then don't. So no wonder, you know, cities are burning. Um, and I do think that there's this kind of, I was hit initially with this sense of overwhelming kind of powerlessness and, oh my goodness, you know, what on earth can we do to fix this? And we've got to just move through that and, and move to action. Um, you know, I'm not saying that there's been no progress made um, in this area. Of course there has. And there's been a lot of good people with really good intention driving the messages forward. But I think that this event is going to, has to be the catalyst for change. And I believe that it will be. Um, but we need to educate ourselves. We need to learn how to become true allies. 
And we need to be better at the action part rather than just the raising awareness and talking about what needs to change. So yeah. yes, it, it was great to win an award like that, but it's also, I take this responsibility um, in a really big way. Yeah, indeed. I think listening to you talk and kind of watching things unfold um, and with a view that why I do what I do is because I care generally about people and how humans interact with each other. Um, like even little things like looking at my Instagram, um, the response has just been amazing um, and endearing. And um, yeah, I guess everybody has a responsibility to act, right? Yeah, um, it can't be just another kind of hashtag, everybody turn your screens black. You know, yeah. that, that's, that's really meaningful because so many people feel so strongly about it. But now we need to take action. And that is where change will start to happen. Yeah, indeed. And I think the, um, these events happen uh, in the middle of another huge global event, which is COVID-19. Mm. Um, and we are doing this remotely. Um, the last time that we spoke was together in our office. Um, mm. And we are in a position where um, COVID-19 has hit companies really hard. Um, and I just wanted to get your views on, you know, what does that mean for diversity and inclusion and the agenda that people and companies were speaking so, um, so passionately about? Yeah. And I mean, it's really, really hard because, you know, companies are now furloughing or moving to redundancies budgets have been cut right left and center you know a number of my peers and ex-colleagues are totally depressed by the fact that they've had big global programs learning development programs or big change diversity and change programs that were ready to go and now the budget's been cut and they feel really disheartened and depressed about it mm. i mean I guess what we need to do is think and talk about the things that we can drive forward in this space that will not take huge investment. And that is what I will be working with um, some of my clients on. Um, I mean, of course, the number one thing that we need to mention, one of the um, few gifts, I suppose, that COVID has brought businesses is this kind of immersion in enforced flexible working so many companies have been like resisting it for years and years and then they got dunked in at the deep end and found that no they didn't you know go under actually yeah. it works for many people and you know this trust-based working is something that I've been championing for many many years and I think it's absolutely key to achieving a really inclusive working place because it's about personalization it's about letting people decide how and when they deliver their best work in a way that suits them and their lives. Um, so I really hope that they hold on to this and keep offering it to their people. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, we've got to work out how we can progress because the, the pace of change must not slow down for all the reasons we've already talked about um, with inclusion and diversity action. So what are the things that we can do which are not going to break the bank? And, um, you know, some of the things I guess that come to my mind, are, um, so firstly, apprentice schemes. I mean, many of them are happening. They do not cost the earth. And I would absolutely encourage 
people to either look into this if you're not already doing it and certainly don't let this get cut if it's something that you already had on your plans and there's loads of brilliant companies out there that can help so one shout out i would definitely give is to ali owen she runs the um, brixton finishing school and she's doing some amazing work in getting young people from different socioeconomic backgrounds into work and giving them a really rich experience and, and the value that business is getting out of um, these placements are incredible. Another apprentice scheme, which does not cost the earth, but again, incredibly value is about getting neurodivergent um, interns and apprentices in. And I've had firsthand experience actually working with a girl called Amy Walker, who came in to help me in my last role. Um, and she works still now at Group M. She's knocking it out of the park. She's gonna be like this, I know. She's gonna be a global <laughs> game changer. She totally is. She is one, she has autism. Um, and um, she is one of the most effective, one of the most creative, um, just wonderful people I've ever met, let alone worked with. So I, would, I am a huge advocate of that kind of program. Mm. But I mean, one of the, I suppose one of the big ambitions that many companies have got is to increase their diversity at that very top leadership level. And this is a big concern with the COVID crisis hitting because obviously, you know, putting a hold on recruitment and all of that sort of thing. But yeah. what I've noticed in many companies is that there just isn't a pool of, you know, underrepresented group, talented people who are waiting to move into those roles. And so what we need to do is look for, you know, at the junior levels within our organizations, because there's usually far better diversity at those levels and work out how we're going to get those people um, expedite their development and their careers so that we can get them into those leadership roles quicker oh sorry i was just going to say some of the things that i've heard that i always think don't cost any money or very little money um that could have such uh, a big impact and largely around like empathy and understanding stuff like reverse mentoring or mm. like when you think about it in an organizational hierarchy context um and how people can build understanding from different perspectives um that again doesn't cost you anything right no, exactly, Luke. And, you know, it's, it's looking at ways that we can support these people, but also start to give more responsibility. So I have a coaching practice as well. And one of the biggest bugbears from my coaches is about the pace of change being incredibly slow or working for very senior people that never respond to them or always cancel meetings with them. And it drives them insane because they want to progress and get stuff done and out there. But in big organizations, especially one of the biggest issues is you have these people who are in very senior positions and their remit is enormous, right? They have got too much responsibility to be able to do their jobs effectively. And I am absolutely encouraging my clients to start flattening that structure a bit. Mm -hmm. is, is it really necessary for one person to be, have so much responsibility and cling on to it for dear life so nothing ever moves forward? You know, this is an opportunity, right? We can give some of that responsibility to people who are lower down in the organization and that has two big wins. 
firstly, things get done quicker. And secondly, we are getting, you know, people with greater, different kinds of experience. And we are, you know, giving people from more diverse groups the opportunity to really learn and immerse in that, in the job development. Yes, it's, it's really interesting. The way that I always think about, like, how do you adjust the experience for work and what's the obligation on the employer? In, in my head, often people that are passionate about certain things just need a level of, like, endorsement or social sanction from the organisation, a bit of time and a bit of money. Yeah. And it's amazing how much can happen off the back of that rather than waiting for a lifetime to get to something on a priority list to do it whole hog, like yeah. often being in a position where um, you're just doing something and giving somebody the responsibility and opportunity, um, it's amazing how much can get done. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. And I've seen this happen, okay? When in, um, in Maxis, which was, um, used to be, well, Wave, Maxis has now turned into Wavemaker, uh-huh. but um, we had this really fabulous group of people called the WICO, so we had the okay. expo, the executive committee, the most senior people in the company. Yeah, yeah. And then we had the WICO, so a nod to Generation Y. And these guys were encouraged to come up with ideas and challenge to the Exco. And they came up with some amazing, you, you know, different perspectives and views on things and ideas. And just having, you know, just an idea like that and bringing it to life, that doesn't cost anything. Mm. And yet you are then including and you are developing people's skills and confidence. And, you know, it, I, I'm just a huge advocate of that kind of program. I, th- I think there are two other things for me that's happened in COVID. One is um, a level of improved trust. Like people have been forced into an experience with work that is very different. And employees generally have proven uh, leadership ass- assumptions wrong around productivity, around work, around... Uh, the commitment to the organization. I think employees have done an amazing job in spite of the situation. Um, The second one that I've seen quite a lot of is like nobody had a playbook for COVID-19. No leader really had all of the answers. So a level of vulnerability and not feeling the need to have the answer all of the time feels Mm -hmm. like it's been like a real breakthrough that I hope uh, doesn't disappear after uh, we return to new normal or however we're terming it these days. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. And I think this is, you know, potentially another gift. There is a shift in, in leadership style. We're seeing it all the time. And, you know, what, what you're saying there reminds me, I mean, there's this guy who I adore. I've never met him and he doesn't <laughs> know who I am. <laughs> I, mean, I, I stalk him everywhere he goes. His name is um, Glenn Yopez and um, he's this amazing like leader and um, he's a writer he writes for Forbes quite a lot but he he's just a guru of mine in, mm. in diversity inclusion and, and leadership and what he's talking about is that we are currently and this happened before COVID but now it's accelerating yeah um, we are witnessing the collapse of the standardization model of leadership yeah and What that was, was this model where you put people in boxes and you give them a task and then you reward them for doing that task efficiently. And that that model actually works really, really well when you're in a predictable environment, okay? Because it creates efficiency. 
But what we know about our current situation is that we are certainly not in a predictable environment whatsoever. So what we need from our people is not just efficiency, we need resilience. Yet in order to be resilient, you have to be able to show up as who you are at work. Yeah. And it took me a while to reflect on that. And actually, I really feel the truth in that statement. And it, it reminds me of the work that um, Karen Blackett is doing in Group M. She's another amazing leader of change. And she's been running these workshops called Covering Events. And it's about yeah. the concept of covering. So the fact that a huge percentage of people every day go to work and feel that they have to cover a per part of their personality, a part of who they really are, in order to feel that like they belong. Mm. And that process of covering a part of who you are takes an enormous amount of energy. And if you're using that energy on covering, then you are not as resilient as you can or should be. And so I find this really exciting because it's an area that I'm working in right now. And it's about working with leaders on how they become truly inclusive leaders. And, one, and the steps towards that is, firstly, being really authentic and open about their life history, what's made them who they are today, their traumas, their challenges, you know, uncovering in a really kind of vulnerable way. Um, and that, I think, is so inspirational for people and, you know, we need role models. People need to look up and say, wow, okay, look what they've been through to get to where they are today. I can do the same. Um, so, yeah, I find this whole kind of age of personalization, the uncovering and this authentic leadership, um, a really fascinating place to be working in. You can only make a situation more personal when you know more about people. Mm. And the movement for me is in about you have to enrich understanding first mm. to um, be in a position uh, where you can treat people personally which is at the heart of inclusion in my mind is for me some of it is about care too mm. like you've got to be in a position where you you know that people care enough to share yeah but because otherwise you're in a position where if you don't get asked you don't believe that anyone cares and it becomes yeah. this like virtuous circle, right? In which you, you don't share because you think no one cares, but nobody shows that they care because you're not sharing. So people have to care first to want to enrich their understanding, to be in a position where they can yeah. learn about and it. And the way that you get people to care is by having really authentic leaders who make it, make it a safe place in order to do so because they're demonstrating they're not saying i want you to open up and tell me who you are they're saying hey guys this is who i am this is my story um i'm here for you and then people will will open up from there clearly have a huge amount of care and passion um what's your what's your why okay so i think my why has got to be around human potential and um you know i am dedicating my career really to accompanying people on their journey to, to reach their potential. And what I've noticed through working with many, many leaders over the last few years is that people come across huge barriers 
on their journey to their potential. I know because I haven't reached mine yet. <laughs> it's a bloody long journey. <laughs> and it's quite difficult. There's loads of barriers for me to still jump over. But what I'm going to do is help others with theirs. And, um, you know, the way that I've started to look at it is you have sort of external barriers in front of your potential and internal barriers. And the external barriers that people face are things like discrimination. They're things yeah. like lack of equality. They're things like lack of equal opportunity. They are structures in businesses that, don't, that aren't inclusive, that don't work. Or they are you know, outdated policies or laws in some countries that simply are barriers to people being their best. Mm. But more often than not, what people face on their journey towards their potential, I find, is are internal barriers. Um, and these are things like self-limiting beliefs or lack of confidence or the inability to believe that you can ever make it, you know, ever make your dream come true. That sort of imposter syndrome thing that so many people encounter and they're really interlinked, external and internal barriers. And they're almost impossible to overcome, I think, on your own. Many people do, but so many people need support. And I just find it one of the most moving and incredible things to do is to join somebody on that journey and help them wherever possible. And I think, you know, this whole potential thing is so big for me because, I mean, looking at my own journey, I, I guess, you know, that I, I was at a stage um, many years ago where I absolutely was on track to never achieve my potential. In fact, I, I nearly threw it all away. Mm. And, um, you know, that came from a number of pretty unfortunate situations, um, some of them very self-created. Um, but, you know, I left, I left home and school at 16. And um, I come from a very loving family with wonderful parents, but I was wild right <laughs> i just wanted to get out there were too many pe too many family members living in our house <laughs> and i needed my own space and you know now that i'm a mother of a two-year-old girl the thought of her leaving at home at 16 just kills me um my poor parents <laughs> just feel so sorry um for those days but you know that was a really great time in some ways because i was out there in the world and standing on my own two feet and and you know always working always had a job mm. but also i was way too immature to deal with the challenges um that i was i was going to face and and what happened was that i made some really poor choices and um this sort of spiraled me into over a number of years into a really really dark place um and it wasn't until a really dear friend and mentor said to me one day, Rudy, you know, I've got to be honest with you. I can't stand by and watch you throw your life away like this, right? You have got so much potential and you are literally throwing it away. Yeah. So if you want me in your life and if you want me to support you, I will, but I will not watch you continue. Um, on this journey and it was the wake up I needed everything changed he said what is it you want to do I said well actually I'd like to be an actress <laughs> and he said well I'm going to help you and so that was a moment where everything changed right all of a sudden 
um, he was getting me application forms for Lambda and RADA and I was going to all these auditions and I got a couple of recalls but I didn't get in. <laughs> um, but I did get in to Morley College, which in, is in Waterloo, um, very low cost, very affordable and an amazing acting teacher that just changed my life. Mm. Because I think when you are on this journey to become an actress or actor, you have to do some real personal development, right? You have to be incredibly self-aware to be an actor. And through that, I had this kind of enforced personal development, which I so needed <laughs> to wake me up and get me real. And that just took me from strength to strength. I got some amazing um, acting parts, um, only on the London Fringe, not in the old Vic. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, really good um, parts in, in really good plays. And, and then I moved into London, which changed everything, and I needed to get a job. So then I started um, as a receptionist in a media company, which was at the time Zenith Media. Okay. And, um, Within a couple of years, they'd moved me off reception and into the brand new talent team. Um, they recognized I had talent and I was incredibly loyal and hardworking. Um, they realized I didn't have any education, so they started paying for me to get educated. Okay, cool. And then a few years later, I'd had enough work experience in order to do a master's degree. And they, they sponsored it for me, the whole thing. And so it was an incredible 10 year journey because from being a receptionist 10 years later, they made me global head of culture. Mm. And that was when my, my career just um, took off. Yeah, it's crazy. Amazing and, story. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Luke. I mean, I think that is the reason I feel so strongly about people's potential um, because I know how difficult it is to face these internal and external barriers alone. Everybody needs help. Everybody needs allies. Everybody needs support. Um, so yeah, this, that's why, that's my why. That's why I do what I do. I, I think we share quite a say a similar passion. So I didn't go to, I went to college, dropped out of college, uh, didn't go to university and just got a break basically and um, had a wonderful experience. Um, with work and it's why we've landed on our ambition to build a meaningful relationship with work it's very well aligned it's why we get on I think um, so on that super positive note um, let's say goodbye for now and thank you ever so much for coming on I've really enjoyed it and um, I hope everybody else listening has too